It is live now. Everyone, Kevin Connors, we are here. And uh, we're going to be talking tonight about BMX parts and production with Kevin Connors from Haro BMX. You are the product manager at Haro. And I thought to start this out, maybe we could get the uh, the who's Kevin Connors, just so people who may not have heard of you or know of you could learn. Absolutely. So I started out, I grew up in Baltimore and then moved to Vegas when I was 18 and started managing a chain of bike shops. And then from there, I went on to work for Haro in sales and assist some team management duties with Tony D. And then from there, I actually left to move back to the East Coast to work for Staff BMX doing marketing and running the day to day of the business. And then that turned into a good opportunity to work for Garrett Reynolds and the Fiend Dude. So I worked with Garrett to help start Fiend up until about two years ago, where I returned back to Haro to do product management for BMX, and which that covers BMX as far as premium and Haro goes. So I oversee all the products coming in and out, except for some of the higher end uh, old school stuff in the lineage line that is uh, the brand manager, John Bolgen specializes in all the old school stuff. Yeah, good dude, John. But uh, I'd say if there's anybody who's qualified to have the conversation that we're having now, it's you and product managers in BMX. So I thought that to start out, it would be good to just go into the thing that everybody talks about right now and everyone's seeing as prices are starting to rise. And that is just the general increase in the cost of BMX parts and bikes. So from your perspective you see it from the very beginning all the way to the very end so so how can we make this understandable for people who don't see that so it's a tough one so even like obviously everyone knows the pandemic caused all these shortages and price increases but even from before that you can look at certain BMX products, anyone in the industry would agree, frame, a fork, a pair of cranks, uh, most handlebars. Realistically, when you're generally setting up uh, price structures in the general world of uh, wholesale retail business, you're looking at 50% you know, increase. If a bike shop buys something for $50, they want to sell it between 90 and 100. Mm-hmm. If you buy a pair of pedals for $5, you're going to want to retail them, you know, as somebody at wholesale level, you're going to want to retail them for around 14 to 15. So, but what happened with frame forks and bars is those percentages were already so darn tiny. I mean, there's literally, I've seen frames in my history, even five years ago where companies were making 28 to 30% on it. You got to realize when you're buying a frame for exit point mount, you're paying a rider a percentage of that frame or a set dollar amount royalty on it on each frame. By the time that's the end of the day, when you sell those frames or that one frame, you barely made enough money to keep the lights on for that hour of the day. So they're already in BMX was in my eyes quite a bit of a problem and I would, you know, more or anybody would likely tell you that those certain high end items that are more expensive like a frame, there's really not a lot of profit built into them. Mm-hmm. So there already was essentially a problem moving into the pandemic. Then comes the pandemic where initially everyone, including myself, is sitting there 
as excited as we are that all the schoolyards are shut down and we can ride without dealing with the cops and whatnot, we're also sitting there as businesses thinking, well, shit, nobody can do anything. There's no events, everything's shutting down, no one knows, there's all this uncertainty. And BMX has always suffered from a lack of working capital. You know, there's no company out there that can be like, I'm gonna throw a contest, here's $80,000, dollars mm-hmm. No one has that in BMX, very few people are able to even get that. Um, so with everyone fighting in general for working capital and questioning COVID, everyone started scaling back orders. They started canceling orders because they didn't know what was gonna happen. They needed to make sure that whatever they bought, they were gonna sell within a set amount of window. So now you see a decrease at the factory level. So the factories initially, they're already going through shutdowns in China, Taiwan, parts of the US, uh, parts of Europe that do assembly, you know, all over worldwide, we're going through a shutdown. These factories are seeing this, so they start scaling back materials that are coming in, employees, the, the time they're gonna spend on your account, they might shift now to another account. So you're seeing this scale back that started with BMX, and then what happened all of a sudden was, it was quite the opposite, right? Everyone was told you either stay inside or you go to your public park and stay away from everybody. So everybody went outside and bought everything. Mm-hmm. I started at Haro right when the pandemic started. At one point, my job was on hold for close to a month where they weren't sure if they were gonna hire me or what was gonna go on because of the pandemic. But then, so I started Haro, all of a sudden, it just goes apeshit. The world's buying bikes. Haro's warehouse on an average, on an average, I couldn't tell you an average number. Haro's warehouse when it's maxed out, holds about 18,000 bikes. Keep in mind, that's not just BMX bikes, that's mountain bikes, they yeah. own a road brand, they own a beach cruiser lifestyle brand, they do electric bikes, you know, the whole nine yards. But when I started out at Haro, we're probably two to three months into the pandemic, I walk in there and that warehouse is empty. Wow. So if Haro's warehouse is empty, you gotta realize Haro's not Trek, we're not specialized, we're not the, you know, in the grand scheme of bicycle companies, in a, in a BMXer's eyes, people might think Haro's big, right? Yeah. Might, GT's big. But in the grand scheme of it, of it, GT BMX or Haro BMX, even though they're bigger in BMX, they're actually a really small brand for most vendors. So then what happened was, essentially, already there's a material shortage going on, because you've got Trek, Specialized, uh, all the huge tire companies buying up rubber, raw materials, they're starting to demand factories that are able to produce bikes to open up capacity, you know, based on their cash flow. So then you've got all these companies in BMX that are in the grand scheme of the bike industry, they're the lower 50% and down, I would say in BMX, arguably maybe yeah. 40% and down if we need to be honest with ourselves. So you've got this small 40% yelling and screaming, hey, we need bikes too, we need bikes too, we need bikes too. That's not the way business works, unfortunately. Yeah. And at that point, BMX had already scaled back orders while Giant Trek specialized. In some cases, uh, the stupid fitness bikes that people rode at home, Peloton bikes. If you weren't able to buy a pivotal seat or if you wonder why ROs and all other brands don't have pivotal seats, it's because Peloton puts such a huge demand in at the world's largest seat manufacturer that they created a three-day, three-year delay for pivotal seats. Because to the owner of that seat manufacturer, as nice of a person as they are, they don't, 
they're doing business. If they right. can make an order now for 100,000 Peloton seats, they're going to do it now rather than waiting for 40,000 BMX seats. Yep, and there's only one company that makes Pivotal BMX seats. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and luckily that's all fixed now or somewhat fixed for the time being. But anyway, so what you have is the capacity disappeared for BMX. We're all fighting for it. Even at Haro, we fought for it. Like, I literally voices get raised in these meeting rooms where you're like, I bought X amount of bikes and you won't do this, you know, trying to get capacity, trying to lock down material, trying to lock down product. Meanwhile, the whole industry is paying more for raw material. I think steel as of last week was up just in last the last year, not two years, over 140%. So that's essentially, you know, something that cost us $50 150 plus now that's wow. really very raw material so you're starting at that point you know a year into covid you're starting to see all these crazy price increases and everybody in bmx myself included is going like man i don't know if the market can bear this like i don't know what do we even do what, what do we do here and then you know so you're fighting for capacity raw materials are going up but as raw materials are going up covid's still waving in and out so the factory, you know, we'll use Malaysia, for instance. Haro doesn't use Malaysia, but Shimano makes disc brakes there. That doesn't affect BMX, but in general, it's a good example. Yeah. They shut down, I think, four different times within a year for 60 days at a time. Imagine what that did to all the people trying to make mount bikes. Mm -hmm. A lot of similar stuff happened in BMX, whether it was seats, pedals, uh, handlebars, you know, different vendors that are popular and got backed up and dealt with influxes of... Uh, happen to close their business because of COVID. So anyway, we've got this, this problem with capacity compiled with the problem of raw materials. So now it's already in the factory's best interest to raise prices because you need them. If they tell me, if I got an email one morning that said the cost of the Haro downtown is now going up 2%. In that case scenario during COVID, all I really could say is, okay, yeah. all right. That's nothing, what's 2%? I can't argue it. So then you go, the, the, the other scenario that happened and happened real fast and, and affected everything that you know we purchase as humans is container prices went up. What used to be, you know, I remember it, I remember seeing container prices five years ago at 5,000. I remember seeing them three, four years ago at 8,000 to 10,000 tops. I remember seeing them six months ago I definitely saw an invoice that somebody paid outside of Haro that was $26,000 for a container. Jeez. So do the math, the simple math on $26,000 divided by, say, 500 bucks. Right there, you're dealing with a massive increase, and there's no way to argue it. You know, the, the Targets, the Sam Clubs, the Walmarts, they all import enough goods that some of them, Walmart owns container ships. They own mm. containers. Other companies, uh, the mass market bike, so uh, Hyper, brands like that, Yeah, they're done through Walmart. So they're on Walmart's contract. Um, so while is paying 20000 for a container, they're paying 9000 Just a right. thousand more than they were paying during non-pandemic. And on top of that, these containers, they sit, you know, normally four weeks easy from Shanghai, China, from Taipei, Taiwan, you're talking four weeks, out of the factory into Haro's building for sale. Now you're talking six to eight weeks. 
I mean, I just had a container of samples sit literally an hour off the port here in Long Beach for two and a half, three weeks, just sitting there dead in the water that I needed. Yeah. So, you know, you've got this compiled problem of the original price margin already being low, then the capacity going up, the material price going up, and then shipping containers. I mean, there was there was one time in this, you know, almost to give out too much information, this isn't what I paid, but at one point I saw an increase on a couple bikes that Haro made where people were, a factory was trying to increase a bike 27%. At so, one time? One time. Wow. 27%. Now, arguably, there's a bit of negotiation and, you know, you fix these things and you work on them, but imagine if you're already paying one and a half times on a container, then you get hit with that. It's a tough pill to swallow, you know? And mm -hmm. how, how do you do this? Somebody like me, I grew up, I want bikes to be obtainable. I want, I want any kid to be able to get on a bike and have fun, no matter what. I want them to start out having fun on a bike. Hopefully they get into BMX and it works great. But, so for me, I don't want to raise prices to the general public ever at all, but if they're raised to me to the point where there was some bikes where I saw orders on where we barely made any money or made, by the time a cost of doing business was involved, I'm sure there was money lost. And I'm sure it was lost for a lot of companies in BMX because you don't just ship the container of bikes. Right. You might not need them, but you don't just ship the container of bikes. So I guess in short, the really, you know, COVID starts it, then you've got, you know, the demand being dwindled back by BMX, then we find out we need it while it's not available, the capacity at factories isn't available, and then all of a sudden all the material rises. And on top of that, some material is extremely hard to get. For instance, any steel tubing that's chromoly seamless tubing, which all of us use for our chain stays and seat stays. If it's under 20 millimeters outside diameter, it's extremely hard to get the tubing right now in Taiwan. So a frame that used to have a nine month lead time now is over a year lead wow. time because they're just wait there's people just waiting in line to get that tubing. They, you know, um, I went to go do, there's a premium stem that was set to be 50 millimeters wide rather than, you know, at the actual, the bore, the bar bore. So that way it was, you know, a little less slippage, whatever. Yeah. I had to go down to 49, a whopping one millimeter change, no big deal. But, just because they couldn't get the block of aluminum in the size wow. of it, you can see it. So it's either wait a year or decrease a millimeter. So, you know, I feel bad for a lot of consumers and even, you know, I was even joking around. I went to a bike shop when COVID started and somebody tried charging me $20 for an Odyssey slick cable. And of course I just walked away because I'm like, wait, this is insanity, Yeah. you know? And at the time it really was. So I do feel bad for people, but you know, we all have to realize too, it's like, I tell people at Haro when they're like, oh, you know, uh, Person X is getting a wheelie bike, that's crazy. It's like, well, Person X just got a race because they got a wheelie bike and, you know, Person X also rides a bike down to 7-Eleven like the rest of us do every day, so why not have fun, you know? Mm -hmm. But where I try to tell everybody is in those scenarios, and you have to remember is that all of this goes back to the riders. You know, it all goes back to the riders, to the employees, you know, even at a company like Haro, and I know there's a lot more companies that are more core, but a company like Haro, everyone that actually touches BMX is from BMX. 
and rides BMX. You know, yeah. our, our head designer, he might not ride BMX anymore, but he was an amazing photographer for years in the 90s and 2000s, and he still will get on his BMX bike, and he started out riding BMX bike. Our sales manager, James Ayres, used to be a single-A pro for years, you know? <laughs> so it's like everyone's, so you're really, when you're buying a product, you know, as much as the increased cost, people need to realize too, it is going back to BMX. Yeah. People do, they do have to, you know, I don't need BMX to help me feed my dog, but I at least have to be able to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or have, you know, have a means of getting to work and doing the job so consumers can get the products. Right. And I, through thinking about all of this stuff, I feel like I've come to a pretty simple way to bring it down to when a company makes their product, they have to sell it for a certain margin to be able to stay in business and make that product. So if they're, if they make that product and then their costs go up, then the margin isn't, the margin is not changing. The margin means that the price of the product goes up the same at the same percentage that they their their costs go up so it's not that it's disproportional or anybody's making any more money it's that no matter how much it costs to make something you need to make this percentage margin in order for it to even make sense yeah and you know openly like you know look i mean i'll tell you right now there's some products there was a three-month period where haro got a certain amount of increases on complete bikes and didn't increase the prices. Then they did a small increase, and then there was another increase we bared for six months without changing it to the consumer or anybody else. Yeah. I know a lot of other companies did this as well. Like a lot of my good friends in the industry told me, they're like, it stinks. Like, we're just gonna hold on until we physically have to do the increase. Because we don't, nobody wants to do it. Everyone hopes the prices go back down. But I right. think it's time to realize the prices aren't going back down. Right, and, and BMX parts have not changed in price. Like before 2020, I did a comparison to yeah. 2020 to 2007, and there were certain parts, the exact same part made by the exact same company where the price was within five or $10 of what it was 13 years before. So it's like BMX has held on for as long as it probably possibly could have. Yeah, you know, you're right. Look at, the, look at the cost of the frame, right? Like a frame's a good one to look at. You know, we can't really compare a stem because arguably, you know, Moeller designed the right stem when he made the Challenger and the Redneck and we don't yeah. have, you know, it's like we can't redraw perfection. So, you know, stems and certain items aside, but look at a frame. Everybody with the invest cash bottom bracket uh, yokes, invest cash dropouts, those things, Invest cash dropouts aren't cheap to get made. Yeah. So you're adding to the quality, to the look of the product, but you're not making more money. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, it's kind of a backwards system and it's, it's, it's ironic because, you know, some of this, you know, not to compare to skate, but I know they didn't raise prices even as much as they should have either, but a skate deck did raise. It yeah. used to be 50 bucks with grip. Now it's 65 with grip or whatnot. It did raise a little, whereas in BMX, it's just now. If you if you look at it now and you pay attention to the people that just came out with frames in the last six months, you'll see a few of them start coming up in price. Yep. And they should. Yep. You know, arguably, I hate to say this, but I hope a frame reaches 
a higher value point. You know, it's it's kind of, I would much rather, you know, take Dennis Anderson, for instance. I would much rather pay him twice as much as I'm paying now and make better points on that frame and be able to fly him to more skate parks to meet more kids, to do more video parts. Yeah. That's better, you know? So I think some of this is BMX as an industry, you know, at times can be a little bit of a pissing match where everyone kind of follows suits. Mm. But I think it's kind of would be a better way if BMX as an industry was a little bit more like, hey guys, we know uh, none of us are making money on cranks, sandlebars, or forks, or frames. Let's all just agree we're just gonna, honestly, I think the frame, frame prices need to go up. You know, I yeah. guess that's what I'm saying. I wish everyone would collectively admit that certain items we don't make a lot on, you know? Yeah. And I, I think- Go ahead. The argument there from the consumer is an extremely real one. I, I get it because you don't want to ever price somebody out of your sport. Right. So there's tons of brands that do things not to price themselves out of a sport for an entry level rider. You can look at uh, Kink with Mission Parts, right. Ronnie Bonner with Rant, Haro has Baseline, I believe um, Merit has a company called Theory now that does mm-hmm. some aftermarket parts. There's a lot of quote unquote catalog items like those brands where arguably they, the design already exists or it's an existing design modified but they're still good parts. Yeah. You know, they're not bad parts. Haro's baseline frame, I'm not super hard on frames, but I rode one for nine months with not a single problem wow. to make sure that it was fine. Now, so you're gonna argue that for me, a kid can buy an OEM bike and then if they have a problem, they buy one of those parts. And then if they've been in it for a year or two, then you go ahead and you buy the, you know, the high-end free coaster rear wheels or the profile cassettes or you know the high-end aftermarket parts so it's i think as much as the prices have raised the industry has been smart in being aware that they should also offer a price a price specific item that a rider can buy into and know that it's just quality it might not be the most innovative design but it's quality it's going to hold up and you're not going to get hurt riding it that's important as well yeah, I think you brought up a really good point with the the rants, the baseline, the uh, all of those companies in BMX. But I think what we've been missing for so long is the the line of communication between the companies and the masses of BMX to understand that these parts are what they are and what they're meant to be. I think that there's a lot of people who might not understand that the rant part isn't meant to be on the same level as the the you know the the premium ck or the haro like it's not meant to be even though rant doesn't make frames but it still stands it's not meant to be the same thing and i think that if that message gets put out there like yes these are catalog parts but that's what they have to be to make it affordable and then when you're buying the aftermarket or the signature part of this rider, it's that's when you're buying the thing that was made to their spec with their design and specifically for them. You know, and it's it's ironic too because I look at it too like when I built up that frame, I was like kind of laughing because I'm like, this is so much better than other frames I rode when I was a kid that I yeah. made a hundred dollars more for than this so i'm like so in a way as much as cost has gone up it's gone down as well if you think about it because 
you know, when I worked at Harlan Sales before, I think, uh, you know, that was, I would have been, that would have been 19 years ago. So I think the average cost of the frame 19 years ago probably would have been around 280, 300. Well, yeah. the, baseline, the baseline frame or these, these budget point price frame frames are really almost the same quality with the exception of a standard or an S&M. Right. Really, we're very close to the same quality. They're better quality. They have internal headsets and mid-bottom brackets. You know, we're not blowing out bearings left and right anymore. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird opinion to wrap your finger around that, you know, I get it from a consumer standpoint. From an outsider, it, it does appear that it's the gas the gas pump just gouging you for money but it really isn't you know and and nobody nobody in bmx is getting rich you know anybody that thinks that you know is is uh you know there's not even pro you know there's very few pros out there that are living the way pros were living 20 years ago so you know we need to understand that that it's not a we're not selling sports cars we're not selling ten thousand dollar mountain bikes you know there's a ceiling for a bmx bike right that that's a thing too uh and i think that hopefully that's enough to understand like why prices have increased i mean it costs more for the company to make the thing so they have to sell it for more to continue making the thing yeah and I mean, you know if you know i would you know obviously i can't do it but if i showed somebody what we were paying for at haro for bike x when i started two years ago for what we're paying for now and showed that yeah it doesn't have a pivotal seat so technically the specs change that would be eye-opening to people you know right. to really realize that you know the prices they've gone up 20 percent you know at least on bikes on parts in some cases a lot more you know uh you and me were bullshitting before this about the cost of molds like yeah you know i told you a, a grip mold can be up to fifteen thousand dollars now you yeah know, that's insane i mean you know everyone at the end of the day, you know, you take, you're never going to make your $15,000 off off your first grip. So you have to be able to make that back over three years in hopes that the grip lasts five years. So the last two years, you're making enough money to pay back what you already paid that rider for the royalties, what you paid the employee to stick it in a box, the whole nine yards. You know, it's, yep. it's not easy math to play with. Right. And I think we're starting to get into the other conversation I wanted to have and just going through the process of like what it actually takes to take a part from being an idea that somebody comes up with to being the thing that's in the packaging that you can go into a bike shop and buy. Because I think that just having that conversation alone for the people who listen to all of it will help them to understand why things cost what they do and how how a frame does make sense that it could cost more money and how there's certain other parts that it's like it's crazy that they don't cost way more money just because of the amount of hands that have to go into making them right. yeah so i mean you know any i mean i guess this really goes for any part and some are more complicated so we'll just we'll use something like a pedal for instance you know it's arguably a little bit more of a complicated part but any part that involves plastic, uh, any forged non-CNC piece of metal, uh, any rubber, is all gonna involve a mold. So anyway, mm -hmm. you've got your start point for when you're daydreaming on the way to your work or whatever, and you think of a product or you're out riding and you notice, oh, you know what, my friend that rides this stem I made, he's having this problem, I need to redesign it. Never, whatever, whatever it is that you redesign, you've got your initial drawing. Yep. You know, you start out 
all of us, no matter who you are, you know, there's that, I don't even know who said it, but there's that old saying that anything good starts on a bar napkin. So <laughs> yeah. basically, you know, it's just to the point that any idea that you have starts at a very simple free point. For me, generally, it's my notepad. I just start there, if it starts looking good, then I have to spend, you know, on a pedal, it might be four or five days, a solid week of drawing one pedal. Sometimes I determine I don't like it. Yeah. You know? So then you're drawing it to scale on a flat dimension. From there, you've got to put it, you've got to get into AutoCAD. If you don't do, lots of people and some companies will rely on uh, China or Taiwan or vendors in the US to do their CAD work. But realistically, you, to get it right, you really got to do your CAD work yourself. Yeah. So then you're talking about a whole nother level with your CAD work. And then you're talking about a functionality level where at some point, you might need that product in SolidWorks, in some form of a 3D program. All my pedals, stems, stuff like that, I have to do in SolidWorks. I need to make sure that a stem fits with every brand's compression cap. A pedal's not gonna rub any weird crank angles that might be out there, mm -hmm. anything like that. So from there, you've already, on any product, you already, if you're not doing any other work, just to get that SolidWorks and everything ready to start communicating with the factory, so they don't take what you think you're designing and redesign into a complete mess for you, you've probably got a month at least. So then you send that all to the factory and they do a bunch of their typing and whatever they do and look at how much it's gonna cost the material, the time frame. Then you're gonna have, you know, in the instance of a pedal, lots of times I'll do an injection, you know, uh, rapid prototype, of plastic, yeah. a plastic version of it. I'll 3D print it real quick to make sure I'll stand on it, see if the concave feels right, right. nine yards. From there, you'll do, or what I will do, is I'll do a CNC version. Mm -hmm. So it's actually, even if it's gonna be plastic, I'll make it out of metal, because I need to feel how it really actually rides. That's, I think that's the big difference, and a lot of people, a lot of BMX companies do do it, where they care and they wanna actually ride it and make sure it's right. Yeah. That's important, so that's, that's a whole nother, you know, Thing. I've got a pedal right now, a race pedal I'm designing that I've been riding for a few months on a few different bikes just to make sure the bearing design stands up in it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so then by the time you hear back from the factory, they've given you a quote of what it's going to cost and told you your pedal is going to cost fifteen to $20,000 in mold. It's going to take uh, 120 days, you know, 90 to 120 days to even get the tooling done you know, to make the mold, then you've got to wait for them to have the time to make the pedal. Yeah. So, you know, from start until sample time, it used to be sometimes you could get a sample. I mean, I remember sending stem drawings off and getting them in 60 days, just cranking stuff out. Yeah. That's not the case. Now you're talking 120, 160 days, just on a simple CNC stem sample. After you've already signed off on the drawings, talk to them about any issues, you've you know, stress worked it as much as you can. And then on top of that, then you've got to have a rider ride it. You know, yeah. ride it, but I make sure all of our actual pros ride the products. Right. You know, it's that's why they are there. <laughs> if Chad was riding a frame, we didn't make it X Games for a reason. He's riding a sample frame that's not going to come out for a year. Yeah. You know, it's, it's part of it. Yep. Um, so, you know, start to finish, you've got all this work involved. And for a lot of companies, you know, they've got to have. Uh, somebody that CAD draws it, somebody that puts it in solid work. You've got all this price buildup. 
from yep. the initial person that thought of it. Some companies are lucky enough to have people that, you know, can do the CAD work and whatnot and it helps save on time and cost. But at the end of the day, you've got an absurd amount of time and effort and money built up into this sample. Yeah, just to get the sample. We're not even talking about making it. Or we haven't even got to talking about design of packaging and getting that. Like, there's so much more to this. Just to even get it in, just to even get this sample in the rider's hand. And then you're just finger crossed. Yeah. You're just sitting there finger crossed that the rider loves this product. Especially. There's no no problems at all. Because you don't want to be the company that comes out with something that's failing right away. Especially if it's got a mold involved, because you do not want to have to modify that mold. Exactly. And that's the, yeah, and that's the whole thing because then you know you go modifying it. Sometimes you can't. You know? <laughs> it's just well, well you're screwed. Well, Make a new mold to yeah, give us twenty. Yep. But you know, just to, so then you've got the sample in the house. From there, um, I would say it's safe to say ninety-five percent of BMX companies deal with an agency in in Taiwan, mm-hmm. or they have a office in Taiwan that acts as an agent for them that talks between them and the factory to negotiate. Final pricing, the amount of time it's going to take to make the good, which is going to be your lead time, and then the you know when you plan on shipping that good and packaging. Yeah. So, like for me, once I have a product, I'm like, okay, this sample is is good to go. It's ready to go. Rider X rode this. They didn't break it. I'm looking at it. There's no stress fractures. You know, we put it on a machine and tested it. There's no issues. You know, because you also have to add that into a lot of people don't realize it. You know, I guess almost circling back around but there's different iso testing that legally Mm. you have to do on certain products and on a complete bike there's iso and cpsc testing the amount of money i pay annually at haro to cpsc test a bike is more than i make a year wow (laughs) think about that and if i don't do that and anything were to happen all the way down to one time i had a seat rejected when I was working at Fiend and we were laughing about it because we didn't, this is when it, we first started working on stuff over there. The seat didn't pass because if a kid ate enough of the material the seat was made out of, there was a dye in there and it could harm a kid. So it was wow. down to the fact that a kid might literally eat a seat. So we had to make all new seats. So anyway, you hmm. run into those scenarios too where you're paying out the ass for testing, you know? And again, it's time, time time's money. So. Anyway, you've got the product, it's ready to go, you've tested it, you know it works. From there, you, you've got your final price, you know what you paid for your mold. I spread, most companies will spread their molds out over time. You yeah. Have, you're never, you're not going to make something and pay for your mold on the first run. We don't, BMX doesn't consume enough grips, enough pedals to do that with. Yeah. So, you've got your mold fee, you've got that. So, you're sitting there looking at a piece of paper and you got to look at your percentage points. How much is this item cost? How much can the market, what is what is currently out on the market that needs to compete with? What should it cost? What would I like it to cost? And then what is what is the break even point? You know, so any company will have a point where they deem a product, you know, we're only gonna make three percentage points on this product. That's not gonna pay anybody, that's gonna cost us money, it's not worth it. Yep. You know, so then you have all that. So you go ahead, you start, you know, entering it in the system. While you're entering the system, you've got to pay your graphic designer or your industrial designer to sit there and draw the box. Yep. Unless you're lucky enough to have somebody that draws packaging. 
that also does product stuff. So you're paying somebody to draw the box, do the artwork. Sometimes just even doing the artwork, you know, I've never been cheap on artwork. There's, we use people inside. I use people outdoor, outside of Haro. I use a guy outside of Haro that does artwork for the Olympics. You wow. Know? So you, you can't skimp on these things. You gotta pay what they're worth. So I gotta pay him, I gotta pay person X what they're worth. So this all increases the cost of the good, but I bet you'd be pretty mad if you bought a, a $200 fork and it came in a bag that had rust or, or mildew at the bottom of it. You yeah. Know, you want to feel like the products at least deemed worthy of a decent set of packaging restrictions, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, so then you put, you've got all everything on order, you work with your agent to put the order in, you're checking with the factory, making sure the lead time's right, you know? Then you're, you're also paying somebody to do quality control, especially right now during COVID. I can't go over there. Yeah. I, I would love to. I'd rather do my own quality control. So I had to pay somebody to literally check every part hand by hand for any little scratch, anything. Yeah. To make sure when it gets to me, I didn't just waste my $20,000 of a container on damaged product. So. You know, you got to realize too, in, in in the whole lead time issue, you've got now lead times have gone back down a yeah. little bit. But as much as lead times are back down and capacity is back down, now we're back to the material issue. You still can't get the right block of aluminum for your stem, or yeah. enough of the rubber for your new tire. So say your say your lead time, they might say, oh well, we've got capacity, we can make it now. It's like when can you physically deliver it? You might all of a sudden decide this is six months to a year. Mm-hmm. You know, that frame Chad was riding at um, X Games, that frame's been sitting in my office for four months and it won't come out for another 10 months. You wow. know, it's a 14 to 16 month lead time and it's not the factory owner's fault, not my fault, certainly not Chad's fault. It's just there's not enough material. There's a shortage right now and you know, you add the lovely whatever we got going on in Ukraine mess to this, and then all of a sudden you add another, you know, material shortage at times as well. That's so, crazy. You know, it's it's a lot of work. You you want to think like I remember being a kid, like drawing products and thinking like, why wouldn't they do this? Like a Dicom Tech 77 level. Like we always wondered, why is the bolt not on the top? Why do I keep destroying my thumb on this bolt? Oh yeah. You know, because he's got. $15,000 into that mold. So is it worth changing right away? Arguably he should have because other people did it and did a great job at redesigning it. But, you know, that's why some of those things, you know, you wonder why certain things don't change. It's because the money's not there to change them at all times. Yeah, man, there's so many aspects to this. And then after everything you said, throw a pandemic in it and then the material shortage into it and that initial thing that you thought you were going to make and how much it was going to cost to do it all how boom instantly it just goes up how much because your container for example goes from nine thousand to over twenty something thousand that's instantly like you were saying with like 500 bikes that's instantly a certain amount tacked onto every single one yeah, no matter how you cut it. And you know, there's there's cases like, well, I just dealt with it now. There's there's two tires I'm working on right now. One's a wheelie bike tire, one's a, a, a tire for Chad. You would think the tire for Chad would take more samples as far as plastic molds go to get a thumbs up, mm-hmm. this is perfect, than the wheelie bike tire. Nope, 
Chad loved the first sample, <laughs> the basis. The wheelie bike car, I've printed 10 of these things out and I'm still not happy with it. So, wow. you know, there's some things where it's like, that stupid wheelie bike tire, I've got months tied up into it. It'll repay itself in five years, but it's not gonna repay itself in a month. Wow. So, you know, it's a bit of, and that's why I always like, you know, I worked for a small brand for years and I always give them so much credit. And I think oftentimes those small brands don't give themselves enough credit for what they are able to create because Man, it's tough to be able to get a brand to a point where they can bear the load to make a tire and know that they're not going to turn a profit for a few years or or make a grip knowing that they're giving a rider's salary out for a year just to make a grip. You know, things like that. It's it's you know, it's a tough market, you know, and it's one of those things it's it's a tough sport and a tough market, you know. It's not a you know, it's, it's a tricky one, but I think you're right. I think there needs to be more open communication with the consumers, like bringing the consumers in, letting them know, you know, hey, this isn't just a cakewalk. Everyone wishes it was, you know? I mean, it's it's not the day where we were making frames in our grandfather's uh, basement, you know, because <laughs> yeah. we had a TIG welder. Like, it's, it's no longer those days. And I think if BMX really would have kept its original margins, even from the early 90s, It'd be a different atmosphere. I mean, frames would be five hundred plus. Yeah, well, they're that now. I mean, the S and M frames, they just went up to like five forty, and the Sunday, at least the the lifetime warranty frames are five twenty now. Yeah. So. And hey, props to Moeller, props to Nuno, and everyone at Odyssey for doing that. That that needed to happen, and I would. I'd be lying if I told you Chad's frame wasn't going to be just under that price point. So it's going to happen. You know, yep. I, I think especially with frames and forks, the consumers need to realize the high-end market, the, the invest cast stuff, the Sanko Japan tubing, the true temper tubing, the real sought-after stuff that is needed for a professional-level rider or a rider that's been riding forever, the prices are going to go up. But yep. There are these other brands out there. There's Baseline, there's Mission, there's Rant, there's Theory. There's a bunch of other ones. And Salt. Uh, exactly. Salt. We have people at Salt. Salt makes great products. I rode one of their hub guards for years. Oh, yeah. Salt's definitely you know, one of the better ones for um, sure. You know, and I think everyone needs to realize, too, these companies, you know, it's we all like to support brands that are supporting riders, right? Yep. Well, these, these smaller offshoot brands, the offshoot brand might not support riders, but the big brand that's making that does. Yep. What they're doing is they're making sure that you can keep riding your bike, you can get better at riding and progress and have more fun at BMX because your bike's not breaking in hopes that if you bought, I hope that a kid buys a baseline frame and in two years just rides the piss out of it and comes back and buys a dentist frame. Right. And I'm sure Ronnie hopes a customer buys a rant seat breaks it in half and buys a shadow one you know it's just it's what what needs to happen it's a level of progression and i think that's kind of one of the better things that's happened in the bmx side of the industry for years is you know i hate to compare it to road mountain all these other brands there's all tiers of product right like i yeah. can go on amazon right now and buy plastic pedals that look the same as a hundred dollar pair of mountain bike pedals but they're not yeah gonna ride real good as i'm learning but not when i get better and i think you know people need to realize that with bmx you don't always need to go from buying a 350 complete to buying a 400 frame right 
Yeah, and uh, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. If it's a hobby or if it's something that people do, there is a range from the cheapest of the cheap that you can get all the way up to the most high-end level that is even possible. Doesn't matter what it is. Exactly. I'm a... I, a lot of people know professional photographer yeah i didn't go right out and buy a six thousand dollar camera body i shot you know eight hundred dollar to a thousand dollar camera bodies for years until it was like okay i'm now i need this using I, you know fifty dollar fifty dollar lens from the lens. yeah like this is super cheap lens from the freaking 70s but it works. That yeah, it gives you the same image. You might have to manually focus it, but it gets you the same image as that five hundred dollar autofocus lens that they make yeah. now. It's it's a similar concept. Um, so I, I mean, I do think it's important that people remember that. You know, they think about that as well. That there is things in the industry that, you know, the industry is doing to give back. And you know, BMX in general gives back a lot. Yeah. You know, whether it's in the form of paying athletes, putting on events. Like look at Trey's Swamp Fest that we were talking about before. It might not be for everybody, but it, he welcomes everybody to it. He doesn't yep. need to do it. No, and he could give it up day, any day. He may, I, you know, I've listened to some of the podcasts and laughed about it. It's like at the end of the day, I'd be amazed if he made a steak dinner off of it. So, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes people need to take a step back and look at things from a slightly different perspective. You know, when you're buying that, that rider's signature frame, it's going to pay other riders. Right, and dude. It's going to pay other employees. It's going to pay other people. It's not, the BMX company is not looking to be like, oh, I hope I make this factory tons of money. No, I want want all my riders to get a raise every year. Yeah. Every year. You don't think I want to give Dennis, Chad, or when I was at Fiend, I didn't want to make Fiend more money. So Garrett and Colin and Ty all had more money to have fun yeah. and did their life better. That's the whole goal, right? Is that you start this small thing and it goes like this. So you, so everybody grows with it. And as everybody grows, the hopes are that this, the lifestyle around it grows, you know? So collectively it's a bigger picture. Yep. And I think that if people alone knew how much royalties were on like a signature frame they'd be like oh i'd pay 50 dollars more if it went straight to the rider immediately yeah if anybody wants to do that let me know i'll start putting barcodes on all the horror products for uh binmo accounts listen no that's a sweet idea idea it is sad man it you know i mean look because the real honest truth about it is there's certain companies that sell a piss load of frames and that's amazing yeah and there's certain companies that don't sell a lot auto doesn't sell a ton of frames yeah you know and that's fine we don't we don't need to you know we don't you know let other companies do it and i get it but at the end of the day like you said i mean i'll never talk about a rider's salary you know dollar amounts or royalty amounts but if they knew that some of those products don't pay for a can of beer at the end of the day it's pretty eye-opening and it's not because the employees taking money or the guy packing the box is making too much money, you know? It's that they're all existing. They all have to get paid. It's not. (laughs) Normally the guy packing the box is making minimum wage and is just thankful that he can pay, you know, that he gets a discount on bike parts or he got a free scratch frame that couldn't be resold or something, you know? So it's, it's, it is a tough one, right? You know, it's. It really is. But 
things are going up so hopefully that helps somewhat um there was a couple other things i wanted to talk about because i've been saying for quite a few years now that there's a chart that you could draw up where there's going to be an x that crosses where it becomes worth it to start making things in the u.s for companies if it it's going to come to a point like and maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't reach that point maybe production costs end up going back down or they go to you know india or mexico or whatever and where things aren't as crazy as taiwan yet but there's gonna come a day potentially where that it becomes it makes mexico, sense mexico is more expensive by oh way. it is <laughs> okay india sorry i looked in depth but i've looked briefly on my and actually shocking but yeah i mean like you said i think you know, look, even Haro, you know, even Haro is owned by a, a family that owns some other things. They're all riders, mm-hmm. you know, our owner, my direct, my, my boss, she rides, you know, she, hmm. I, I bet you it's morning time now in Taiwan. She's probably out for a ride right now. That's not cool. BMX, but she rides a bike. And that's what matters to me at the end of the day is that people involved in the company, they get on a bike and it makes them smile. I don't yeah. care beach cruiser or what, as long as the bike's making you smile, we can be friends. But anyway, like you said, even she, even everybody has looked at the possibility of making it in the USA. I just had a Haro added uh, Pierre, the little girl that yeah. part. So we added Pierre. The first thing I wanted to do, make the frame in the USA. Mm-hmm. I did up three people, four people. Everyone knows these people that make these frames. Yeah. They don't have the time or the cost is so godly high. Not anything against them. I want to pay what the cost is. But it's so high that I couldn't rightfully make a USA-made 18-inch frame and sell it to those parents' kids and hope that kids that want a higher-end bike are going to be able to afford this, you know? Right. So you run into those problems, and then you run into a lot of... I, I, I almost like I laugh. You run into ignorant American logistics problems, right? We're not the only ones. Yeah. We like to think that we are, and sometimes the rest of the world associates... BMX with oh California, it's if you take the U.S. compared to every other market, every other market's just as big. So ne- making something in the U.S. might not so- solve your logistics problem because then you're talking about shipping something out of the U.S. Oh yeah, that, but you're paying more and importing to other places. There can be higher tariffs. So you're dealing with you also have to play you know uh, tariff games. You know where some some countries. Uh, Europe, for instance, can't take products out of China. Um, they have to take it out of Taiwan. You're dealing with all these logistical and tariff issues, and you know that making in the U.S. makes it hard. The cost of labor obviously makes it hard. Mm-hmm. You know that's another one. You know to kind of debunk it some. Your average factory worker that's putting stickers on a bike, you might hear the rumors of the, what they're getting paid. Those dollar amounts are probably right, but when you compare it at the cost of living, it's more like just under minimum wage or at minimum wage. Hmm. You know, so there is—I've uh, never seen a factory over there that's slave labor. I might have seen a dog run through a factory, but <laughs> my, dog, my dog's in my office every day. So yeah, it's not the end of the world. But you know, when you look at the logistics of doing it in the U.S., I would say Mueller pops to him. He's one of the few people that have really figured out the right way to make U.S. stuff. And I would sure, you know, you listen to his Ride BMX podcast where he talks about how lucky he got about buying the old Elf Machine Shop stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you ask him the direct question, 
Chris, if you didn't buy that elf stuff, do you think this would have been possible? He might have told you, might tell you no, because the cost of the machinery alone is so high. And then the cost of the guy, the cost of the guy to run the CMC machine is more than you're going to pay your top rider. Right, exactly. It's a bit silly. I, all those people deserve the paycheck they make. But the price to make the stuff in the U.S. is very hard. Getting the mater raw materials in the U.S. is extremely hard. Try getting um, a tire made in the U.S. for a tube. Try getting reflectors, anything like that. I mean, you can search on YouTube when you're done this. Search uh, Henry Ford uh, rubber plant. He tried making a rubber plant in the Amazon uh, year way back in the 30s, and it failed. He found out that the rubber trees wouldn't grow right in the Amazon the way they do in Asia. Huh. So you're always going to have product that has to come from certain areas, right? Right. right. Or you're always going to bring in uh, a lot of titanium comes from Russia. You're always going to bring in certain materials from certain areas. It's just the, it's the way the world works. Yeah, and you know, if anybody's got the magic trick on how to make complete bikes, frames products in the US and make it at the same cost or a similar cost that's not going to cause uh, an enormous price increase I'll do it well, you know, there I'm, you not, go. I'm not scared to do it and I'm not scared to admit that Haro has looked at numerous different scenarios and ways to do it it's I, very hard especially on a complete bike level I think it's encouraging for people to hear the fact that Haro's even looked into it because yeah, I'd bet most a they, lot of companies have had to it. A lot of people probably do. I mean, it's not, and I wouldn't even say look into it. I would say it's actively still a thought at all times. Yeah. Well, it just, it kind of makes sense. Um, and you do, you know, some people, I'm sorry not to cut you off. Some people good. do what they call CKD. It's basically your assembly factory won't assemble it. They'll just condense everything onto a pallet and ship it to you and assemble in the U.S. Okay. So you see... Um, Kent USA, which is owns all the mass market stuff, hyper bikes, all that stuff. Not they don't own hyper, but they help with the assembly of it. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff. You might see a USA made sticker. That's just because they assembled it in their plant in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. None of that stuff was ever made in the USA. It wasn't even painted here. Yeah. It was put together here. You know, so it is tough, you know, it's uh it's a constant struggle and right now it's a it's a the last couple of years to say for anybody to be honest and say it, there's not a lot of unrest in Asia as a whole would be lying to anybody. You know, you're dealing with, you know, China heats up politically, you know, they don't get along with Taiwan, this and that, you know, things can be a real issue. It used, for instance, it used to be really easy to ship something from Taiwan to China or back and forth. That's skyrocketed four times now. So, Jeez. you know, getting products back and forth can be absurdly costly now as well. Wow. So to sum it up, if it ever reaches the point where the cost curve makes it make sense, it, it could be a thing that we see in BMX. I think you will see it. I think you will. Because, you know, BMX was, we, everybody in BMX, sorry, I'm got to put my charge in. You're good. Everybody in BMX wants to get back to BMX. Like I was saying, nobody, nobody that's in BMX right now doesn't want to get back to BMX. If you don't right. want to get back to BMX, me and everyone else that's been BMX forever will tell you to get out. Those well, you just won't make it. No exactly. one who doesn't stays as long as there's people like enough, you. There's not enough money or whatever you might want. You know, you have to really love BMX to be in it. Nobody's in it for the wrong reason. That's exactly the thing. I mean, you find out through sticking with anything for a long period of time 
especially BMX is a great example of it, that nobody who's fake or doing it for the wrong reasons makes it for a long period of time. Yeah, and we need to be thankful for that. You know, there's a lot of industries that let, you know, people in in and be involved in that it's not a healthy thing because you find out these people aren't pure or the ceo is a scumbag or yeah. this or that. they're only trying to get money it's like no you know yeah that's you know the bicycle industry as a whole is not like that this is great um so the the other thing that I, someone brought up here that yeah. i think is a really cool thing to just talk about is 3d printing does it look like there's a possibility of parts that production level parts that could end up being 3d printed in the yes. future yes that's so sick uh, like what pedals i have to admit i'm a bit i'm a bit ignorant to it right but, yeah so 3d printers used to be pretty expensive yeah so i never had one at my disposable until more recent haro does have one it's a smaller one and arguably most people would say by today's standard, it's complete junk. You yeah. know, it's, it's older. <laughs> Sometimes you print something out, it's all wonky. You got to do it again. Whatever. Yeah. It works. Um, but yeah, I think we will see a day that that does happen. Um, I'm going to completely brain fart his name, but it's uh, Gerber, right? Yeah, Gerber. Zach Gerber's been yeah, posting yeah, yeah, stuff. Him. That's like, that's sick that Gerber's doing that and pushing that. I haven't personally. I tried riding a pedal that was a rapid prototype once, yeah, and it didn't last. Now, granted, that was not the highest quality. There's right. different qualities, and people like Gerber probably has some good insight on this. Actually, I should probably gain knowledge from somebody like him because I don't know all the material differences, and right. I haven't gone down that path because my objective is to use it purely from a rapid prototype standpoint, being able to get that product under my feet right away right function um but i think it's you're gonna see it work i don't think um i don't know how much it's gonna work for some the longevity of some items like a pedal right if the cost is so low i haven't looked at the cost of what it would cost to print out one of gerber's designs or what he charges for his design but if the cost is so low that that pedal lasts you a month and another month you can print out another one well then that's a that's, that's not thing. bad yeah and that's a good thing you know um but you know we will see it there's you know you got people printing titanium right now wow that's so now. crazy i'll email you the video once i find it there's a an x-pro downhill racer that is making carbon fiber titanium lug 3d 3d printed bicycle frames Whoa. and it's actually you know, I watch stuff like that because I look at guys like that. I'm like, BMX can't afford this right now. We can't afford to do this process right now yeah. at that level. But by the time we can afford it in BMX, the level is going to be so high that it might be ready for BMX. You know, imagine the yeah. day that, imagine the day you go to somebody like Moeller or Harl or whoever, and it's still a custom frame. It's still made in America by Americans out of American material, but they 3D printed the head tube so that way. Because so, you could technically 3D print a Chromali Invest Cast head tube. Whoa. And then you could lug it together and put the weld bead around that and grind it down. If a company had the intellectual manpower, because these people that run these machines and, and play with everything, it's it's not cheap. You know? Right. There's a high level of uh, education. You know, I mean, 
I used to laugh that there, I knew one of one this cat guy uh, from New York, uh, from uh, New Jersey, did a lot of the fiend initial fiend work, and it's like the price I paid him. I didn't realize until two years ago that that's half of what you, a cat guy makes. Yeah, now, you know. But uh, anyway, I do think that we will see it because what it's going to allow it to do that that company that does the titanium downhill frames with the carbon tubing and they're lugged together. What you could do, you can go on there now and be like, I want this frame with the way that that suspension rides, but I want a 63 degree head tube rather than your stock 67 because I'm just gonna run into rocks all day or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. That really interests me. As a company that's 6'4", that really interests me because I always have to order my frames at the time of first sample so I can get a 21 and a quarter because it's not a popular size. But if there was stuff like that set up where I could literally go to somebody like Moore, somebody could go and be like, you know what, I'm a little bit taller or I'm 200 plus. I don't want a down tube that's gonna break. Can you custom make this? I know Moore does custom frames now, but if they were 3D printed, you'd be able to change angles, you'd be able to change tubing dimensions, you'd be able to change a lot of stuff real easily. Well, that changes having the material weight is immediately different there too because now you're not waiting for that specific seamless chromoly tubing you're yep. just needing the material to load the machine which you is just need raw 4130 which is pretty wild and then yeah. i mean if we get into that you could get into talking about like what happens when you heat treat the 3d printed thing like or just any of the it's metallurgy funny, actually that company heat treats their titanium which i thought was like kind of crazy because it starts as a powder form and then it's heat treated so it's kind of odd That's to see so wild. I, I yeah i don't know enough about titanium to know how much it could bear as far as that goes but it, i did not expect that part of the process because heat treatment you either do it at the right amount of time or the wrong amount of time it's either right or wrong there's no wow. middle ground with it right you know I there was a guy uh, so Zach is doing everything he's doing and posting on Instagram he did post a video on YouTube but a couple yeah. of years ago there was a guy from Ohio uh, named Johnny Lee I think it is uh, he's was on YouTube 3d printing BMX parts yeah. and his the finish on them it was like a semi like it was a matte like uh, what's the word? frost like transparent material that dude it looked like a finished product when did you see it i've seen that one and it's crazy because i had and they did it without me knowing or actually requesting it i requested a very high-end rapid prototype of chad's new premium grip yeah after it was designed because i wanted chad to really feel it before i opened the bowl Mm -hmm. they went ahead and did because it was going to come in black and smoke clear yeah makes sense for chad right yeah okay they send me a smoke clear prototype. Wow. I slide it on a handlebar, and no shits, this thing is probably only 10% harder than his actual finished product. <laughs> it's it is a, a, It's a rideable grip. And it's a grip. That's so crazy. I'm, I'm like, wow. How? I, would, I would bet that if you slammed on it, it would crack. Yeah. You know, but when if you were just riding down the street and you never crashed and threw it on the ground, it would, it's rideable. Yeah, that's so wild. I mean, it's wild. Slid on off a pair of handlebars, you know, with a tight tolerance. So it's it it is, it's getting there slowly. And like you said, with finishes, I have a there's a stem in a glass case in my office that when the vendor sent it to me, I was like, even weight wise, I'm like, this is not, this isn't, this isn't plastic, you know, <laughs> and it is. Yeah. It is. 
you should check out the videos that I'm talking about because he made a, a front hub. He made, I think he made a stem, he did a sprocket. Uh, he did all kinds of things. He lives outside of Dayton, right? No, he's up near Akron. Uh, okay. I don't The name sounds familiar. I'm, I'm not sure if there's another Johnny something or another. I mean, there's Johnny Delp also from Cleveland, but that's totally different. Uh, either I'll, way. I'll have to search it because I, I got to search Gerber stuff too. But it's actually like I'm curious to learn more about the RP stuff and the plastic printing and the material printing because, you know, it's happening. And I think the only thing that I've heard so far as far as a mass production goes can be time on it. Right. right. You know, time and uh, size restrictions per time. You know, I just did a, a new race seat where I printed it out in plastic and just because of time, I cut the thing in half. I only printed yeah. that, you know. Um, yeah. So that's one thing I've heard and having to babysit it. You know, the one at Haro is finicky. Sometimes I got to sit there and stare at it like a bowl of fish. Right. And I mean, it'd come to a point where there'd be just like a, you know, warehouse full of like a farm of 3D printers. Yeah. But if that makes sense, I mean, if you can make if pedals end up making sense and you can make a set of pedals, just the plastic part of them for the a fraction of what it costs to do it now, even talking about not needing a mold i mean immediately that already takes off the the crazy tens of thousands of dollars off of doing it so that's crazy. i think that's really it, it it's got to be strength and time and cost all at once but if the cost can you know it's machines printing it you don't have to watch them you know it kind of turns into a scene out of fight club where you just got a bunch of machines inside of a warehouse and some you know one lonely person picking up things that are popping out of them yeah man and i think it'll be uh, the future is probably bright for 3d printing and this the stuff in the videos i was talking about i mean his stuff looks like a finished product out of this 3d printer from i mean five years ago maybe now something yeah. crazy like that and like i said i can't you know i i could i find it hard to believe a hub would definitely stand up but definitely not <laughs> yeah a pedal or a grip or a seat pan absolutely like mm -hmm. i could see that in the next five to ten years happening oh and you could lessen the cost of bottom brackets by 3d printing the cone spacers yeah that could 100 percent be done that would there's be no, there's no reason now not to you know headset spacers doing plastic yeah i mean they already do the plastic headset spacers they're, they're cheap yeah but looked at the cost of doing plastic cones and the only reason i didn't do it is because i figured bmxers would over tighten their cranks like they generally do anyway oh you're right and then crack them so the cost of you know even though that would have been a pretty cheap mold to make those the cost of making it you know because yeah. i've seen bmxers crack plastic headset spacers before yeah you know, and i'm like what do you you don't need to tighten it that much your headset's not moving anymore yeah but then uh what zach's doing peg sleeves hub guards hub guards would be a make a lot of make a lot of sense hub guards do too the hub guards are one of the hardest it's like anybody that tells you plastic hub guards are easy is lying right here i got one yep finding the right material that doesn't break is next to impossible and then some people just break them left and right anyway yeah i mean i'll be honest with you i never wanted to ride a plastic hub guard but the one that comes on all these planetary hubs yeah. now that guard lasted me until it finally i had to like i grinded it down like so many times but it just kept it never broke yeah. i was very yeah, they've surprised got the, they've got the right formula 
Yeah. It does, uh, take, does take finding that formula or knowing the right person to tell you I do X, X, and X, you know? Right. I think I'm going to have to hit Zach up and get him on here. I'm sure he'd be down. Yeah, you need to. So email because I'd love to gain more knowledge. That's the that's the whole thing too. You know, BMX needs to start realizing some of us are smarter than the others in certain areas, and we can learn. Absolutely. I would assume Gerber rides hard. Oh yeah. I mean, he destroys shit. Yeah. At least you know. So I'm assuming if he's riding them, they don't last one session. They last a little longer. Yeah, he hit me up about trying out some of the pedals he was doing, and I'm like, I'll do it. If you'll you do it. if we, we can. Sp- ride for a day to test them out and then make a video out of it and have some fun right. with it that'd be good yeah uh that being said though man we've covered a lot of ground today yeah sorry i'm a talker no i i love it i think this is going to be very valuable information for people we've i think we've talked about a lot of things that might people might really not know that much about or have any like concrete information because it's good for people to know this stuff you know, like you look at the record industry, people don't know everything, but they know enough mm-hmm. to know it's a bit of a mess or it's a bit challenging. You know, yeah. or artists don't always make all the money. You know, it's, uh, I think it's important that companies start showing a little face, and a lot of companies are, you know, yeah. uh, or certainly does. You know, you did stuff with the guys at Odyssey, you know, but, uh, you know, I think it's important for all of us to kind of be open to people asking questions and being like, well, why does this frame cost so much? Well, you know here's why i mean what's that the reason cost you a few dollars this kid's got to put it to you know this that, and the other thing you know yep the only one i will agree with is i hope the cost of rubber goes down because buying tubes is getting a little insane these days oh yeah man i can remember i used to buy tubes when i first started riding at drug mart for 250 yep now they're like eight or nine bucks it's... when i started when i started a shop they were a dollar 99 that's 24 years ago. It was a dollar 99 for any size tube. It's crazy. Two dollars with cash, no, no, uh, two dollars cash, no tax all day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, the I in that comparison I did talking about uh, parts and stuff that the Aiken tire was the perfect one to look at because they've been making the Aiken tire since What's 2000. So it was six. I actually just bought one. I just don't remember what I paid for it. <laughs> it was uh, sixteen ninety nine in two thousand seven. Then in two thousand twenty, it was uh, twenty six ninety nine. Then now it's thirty six ninety nine for the non folding version, yep. and it's forty six ninety nine for the folding version. And as anybody um, will tell you. You know, working at Harlow, we're very close with Kenda. Mm-hmm. That's, they're not ripping you off. That's what it should cost. As <laughs> you know, you know yeah. that's what it costs for them to realistically put that tire on the market and, you know, put it in your hands. You know, that's, it's realistic. And the cost of rubber is going up and going up. And when you're buying a, you got to remember too, when you're buying a tire, there's so much technology that's in a tire. So there's a huge difference between a $35 Odyssey non-folding tire yeah. and some $30 generic folding tire. That mm-hmm. $30 generic folding tire might fold, but it ain't going to do nothing else you want it to do. It might not even have rubber in it. Oh, okay. That's the whole thing you start realizing. You know, you realize you look at, like, that's the nice thing about Haro having other brands is that I start realizing, like the other day, I'm like, I had to buy a freaking road tire. I'm like, what? This is retarded. The and type price like, of it? Yeah, and then I'm starting to look at like what 
all goes into it in reading about the technology because I'm curious and I'm like, oh shit, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I, I think that's one area I hope BMX progresses in, you know, now that I, you know, have more tools, you know, tire wise under my belt, you know, starting to realize BMX tires, you know, I know we wear them out fast with not having brakes, but it's like, man, there's a lot of technology there that we should be utilizing. And some companies like Odyssey do put into their tires, which is good. And, you know, RO wise, you're going to see Chad's new tire have a definitely the sidewall, the bead, the tread, everything material wise is going to be, it's not going to be cheap, but it's going to be a good tire. That's absolutely something that I would love to make a video about. You know, and it's, <laughs> we could definitely discuss that more further sometime. But, you know, it's like you said, people are worried about the price of BMX goods. I think if we can keep the quality and the price where they're at as of today or in the next 30 days, you know, like you said, frames and forks need to go up. Yeah. Then what BMX should look at doing is making products above that. Yeah. It's possible. Look at profile, right? Not everyone, you know, when I wrote a cassette, you asked Mac Hope, I used to buy tons of freaking hubs and axles from them, you know, titanium this, titanium that. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. That that stuff should exist in more places than just profile or high-end park riders, you know? Like, mm -hmm. there's technology out there for street riding that should have been used years ago, you know? Look at the planetary hub. I know you, like, arguably, you're one of the people that really started first talking about that. Mm -hmm. Cal had that technology for a couple of years before you I heard that. The table. I Cal heard that. Into horror with that three years before I heard anything about it. They had already seen a working sample. Yeah. They just weren't smart enough to realize at the time they didn't have somebody in modern BMX street riding to realize like, whoa, wait a minute. Here, here's all our money. Yeah, I, right now. I don't think anybody saw it until after like my videos even came out because it was like nobody seemed interested. And then I think I think it crept into a thing of where like, oh, this is like crazy. And then I think nobody talked about it because everybody realized that they needed one. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a weird one, too, because so it's like when I first heard about them, like, you know, I know how planetary gears work in the transmission. You yeah. know, I'm aware of what a plan, a sun and gears is. I know. Yep. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm like, how the hell did a BMXer get that functionable enough in such a small space? Mm -hmm. And then just went down a whole wormhole. And that was probably six, nine months before I started at Premium and back at Harlan Premium. And then it was funny. I saw your video and I'm like, I already knew Granite BSD. He was so everybody knows outside of the guys, Cal and Alan at Planetary, who designed it. Yeah. Granite BSD was one of the first people to fully, as a brand, back support and invest it. Yeah. You know, which is important. People should know that. You know, um, Premium now makes one as well. Ours is a little slightly different than theirs because of certain things. Uh, you know, Colin Berniak brought up a good point. If you want 80 whip on one of those, and do land wrong, like even some of your videos. Oh, yeah. Engage, you can. Well, if you land front foot only, it's yep, bad. Colin was like riding riding the park one night and did it on a set of stairs and texted me. He's like, fuck this thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what if I just put a little hair of slack? And then mm. he's like, what? Can we do that? And I'm like, I don't, let me, I don't know. Let me figure this out. You interesting know? so it's very it's almost counterintuitive to what and even when i started talking to tao about it i think he was like what are you what i i want no slack you know 
And yeah. I get that. I ride, I, I ride one with no slack, but Colin does ride one, and the premium one has just a tiniest bit of slack in it. That's you know, interesting. Not it's not even a quarter turn. It's probably less than an eighth of a turn. But I... it's just that if you've got a little weight there, but you do feel it. You know, when I'm pedaling with a camera bag the first time, I'm like, there, there is a little slack, just a hair. That's interesting. I would love to just hear and like see that because obviously I've seen a lot of the other ones so far, but to see the difference in that. Yeah. Um, are you are you right or left? Right. I'll send you one. <laughs> uh, damn it. I was going to say something else. Oh, uh, so, I mean, we talked, so there's been a lot of like, I wouldn't say doom and gloom, but there's been a lot of like, meh, price talk going up and everything. What does it take for things to go the other way and to oh. make sense? <laughs> like, what is, how is that well, even possible? I think... <clears throat> It's a tough one. Before, before, before you even like get super far into it, the only reason I bring this yeah. up is because when I was talking with Keith at Source when I was there, and we were talking a little bit about inflation and raising part costs and in these things, he's like, "Man, it feels like the '80s all over again." With and I'm like, "So this has happened before. That yeah. means that prices in general have gone up, but then they've come back down." So and I was like. What what makes them go back down? Does anybody even know? <laughs> yeah, bicycle industry-wise, I believe it's happened four times. The only time we've seen it this crazy, man, it, it I've only heard about this from people in the industry far above me. You know, there's a guy at Haro that literally worked with GT for years. Yeah. And before that, he was in a shop, and I think he told me it was in the 60s when, man, it hit like, it was way crazier than the COVID effect. Um, but anyway... I think for it to go back up, right now there's a problem that nobody wants to admit. Everyone in BMX got fucking COVID happy. We thought we were selling everything forever. Mm -hmm. A few people that didn't, and they're smart. So everyone put all these bikes on order, right? And all these factories had these long lead times, no capacity. It took forever for them to, to, to get these bikes made and these factories to catch up. But what happens in... You know, the bicycle industry say there's 300 vendors that make Bolt X, Frame X, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. In the BMX world, we all use the same damn 20 vendors because it's such a small chunk. Right. So once those vendors caught up, everyone caught up. Okay. I was at the source one day, saw GTs roll in. I'm laughing because when I left the day before, I started getting bikes in stock. So, and then I heard Sunday got bikes in stock. Then Company X, Company X, Company X. We all got all these bikes in stock. Right now, to be honest with you, in BMX as a whole, there's almost too many complete bikes. Yeah, I can see that. Sitting in warehouses. So mm -hmm. we're going to go through this period, and it won't affect all of BMX. It's going to affect the mass market or mainstream. Let's not use the term mass because we're not selling toy store bikes. Right. It's going to affect the mainstream, the mom and pop shop. Duh. Jim's bike shop down the corner that sells sub $500 parts. You're going to see a lot of bikes having to go on sale to, to mm -hmm. lower inventory level. And right now I know like for us, we don't want to put anything on sale. Like that's insane. We need to stop putting items on sale. An item should only be on sale when an item is not being made anymore or it's old and retired. Yeah. The model year 21 bike is no different than the model year 22 bike 
half the time except for oh okay now they got plastic sleeves on the pegs and yeah. a different paint job there's usually not a huge difference so i don't think i'm hoping that bmx as a whole doesn't start decreasing bike prices because we all know once um certain brands that have done historically crazy things you know previously if they go off and they have too many bikes and they start putting them on sales other brands have to and once we're right. doing it we all have to and it creates a mess but so what it needs to do past that point once once the inventory balances out and it's not an inventory issue on the core market or the uh, P&A side of things in the higher ranges it's everything business is great but that'll continue but I really truly think what needs to happen is there's a lot of parties right now not doing events because mm-hmm. of the COVID thing um, look at bands right yeah I don't think they came out and publicly said it but they're a large publicly traded company yeah they, if COVID's going on anywhere they, anywhere they can't do world class events That's... they had to scale everything back those events, they show BMX to the public eyes. Yeah. You know, I deal with it like I probably, if you asked me three years ago before going back to Harlem, I'd be like, oh, fuck that. We don't need contests. Like, let's just go ride street all weekend, do have a beer midday, whatever. But now that I'm working back at Harlem, you know, you come in on uh, a Monday morning and someone's like, oh, did you see that, like, Olympic contest? Did you see this over the weekend? I'm like, what? And it's purely to non-BMXers or people wanting to get into our sport, that's what they first see. Right, yeah. Is the the bands contest. The Monster just started doing the Triple Crown events. They tried during COVID. They tried a couple times, but they just started doing those again, you know? Mm, X Games like, just became real again. Exactly, well, yeah, to some <laughs> <laughs> You need to have 10 podcasts about 10 years. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, but once that stuff starts picking up gradually again, more eyes will be back on BMX and it'll help the whole industry out a lot. And the other thing too, you know, we need to, BMX has had, and it's hard to even talk about, we've had like a lot of hardships, right? We've yeah. got the Mira incident, incident, you've got other pro riders that would have been a Tony Hawk or somebody in a public yeah. line that took a serious injury that had to force them to take a backseat before their time was there yeah so my hope is that you know my hope is that the garrett reynolds the dennis Andersons, the guys that are the at the top of their class riding wise dakota people like that that they stick to it because they're already shit when i was first getting to bmx a pro at garrett's got to be i think he's 30 now so yeah garrett's garrett's 30 a pro riding at that level at age 30 get the that's not fucking possible yeah now, right now it is. Now it's it normal is. now it's that generation the nathan's the dakotas the garrett's the dennis's that are pushing everything to how long it can last my hope is that those guys never have to leave the sport those right. guys i don't want dennis to ever retire from horror right he can retire as being a pro bmx rider that that's his business he doesn't want to ride competitions anymore and just wants to go have fun that's great but imagine a sport or sport i hate calling it that imagine <laughs> a lifestyle or an industry imagine bmx where these people don't retire yeah. rather than a pro retiring they're still involved i don't know what dennis does next maybe he still rides and he's just a persona at haro that works in the office does whatever he wants to do there you know mm-hmm. but imagine they didn't have to go away and i think about it even down to the thought of 
Bob Haro. Imagine Bob Haro was still 100% sitting at a desk at Haro. Yeah. It'd be fucking amazing. The guy's an amazing guy. He's an innovator. He did a great thing for freestyle. But as he grew, the sport ended up going through a funk where there was no money. Like you mentioned in the 80s, 90s, where he had to sell his company so his company could stay alive. Yeah. If he wouldn't have done that, his company wouldn't be alive today because it would might not have survived the slump, you know? So hopefully, you know, and stuff like Hoffman, hopefully those guys are given the proper limelight to speak more for BMX. Yeah. In a grand way, you know, because I think skates had that, and I hate, you know, you have to compare it to skate because it is the closest thing. But, you know, look at Tony Hawk. Look at Andrew Reynolds. I mean, Andrew Reynolds is still putting out banging video parts, but he's not putting out stay gold year after year after year anymore. Right. But he's still involved, you know. So I think as, as social media arises, as more of the ambassador way arises, I think as pros retire or move on from that level of riding, they'll now be a place where they're still allowed to carry the torch. They're still allowed to be a BMXer in the limelight. They're just not doing, you know, they're not trucking a 21 stair anymore. Instead, they're doing it, it looks better now, and they're doing it on a 12 stair, you know. Or yeah. But they're still involved, and I think, you know, BMX didn't have a lot of longevity. I mean, to my knowledge, Moore might have the longest acting career in BMX. Like Moore, Robbie, some of those guys. Robbie's a little younger than Moore, but you know, Fids. Fids, yeah, exactly. Fids. Um, you know, you know, you look at those guys, they've had long lasting careers and yeah. you know, look at uh John and the guys that own source BMX, like if there's more good people in it for a longer time like they are, BMX will last a longer time and it'll grow. Right. And that's what's been the sad truth about BMX is that it hasn't gotten to that point yet, you know? Yeah, I almost feel like we need some like a Tony Hawk figure. Like there was right. there was Hoffman at that time and Mira was definitely like a yeah. Tony Hawk figure. But like I mean I I feel like Hoffman kinda like obviously they're different people they wanted yeah. different things like obviously if Matt wanted to be like tony hawk he very easily could still be like in the limelight yeah. the way that tony is yeah you know and there's there's different things that you know cause that you know i think for in, in matt's case you know my knowledge of the situation you know you know injuries aren't good aren't yeah good. that's you true know, too i've spent a month in the hospital before you know and suffered from head injuries and it, it's not a positive thing and i think Matt with his contest stuff, he wanted to be more involved, but different governing bodies got up and in front of it, and they took they took what he was building, unfortunately. And, you know, yeah. whatever side of the fence you fall on on that is whatever side of the fence you fall on, but like you said, it would be nice if, if even K-Rob, any of those guys, could have took on more of a persona, or imagine, you know, Matt had such a big thing in the X Games. Imagine Matt now was the one running X Games. It'd be a totally different thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, even like a Ryan Sheckler, like every exactly. single, you know, at a certain point in time, every 13 to 16 year old girl in the country knew yep. who Ryan Sheckler was and the amount of people and like, or bam, you know, like <laughs> skating has always had so many of these giant figureheads that I feel like BMX is just like we it's like we got a ceiling for that yeah and you know some of it is right like 
some of it is BMX sometimes can be too cool for school. Oh yeah. And 100%, I've been so guilty of it, and I've told friends at other brands, everything, I'm like, don't be too cool to school. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not scared to admit, my salary comes from little kids' aluminum bikes. No big deal, I do not care. I put blood into those bikes to make sure that they're the best little kids' aluminum bikes I can do for the dollar. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it is sometimes. You know, Rider X or Person X might be like, I don't want to do that event at Disneyland. That's, That's corny, and it's like, was Sheckler corny then? Yeah, to me he was. I was 21 years going to the bar partying while he was doing that. Yeah. Well, take it back to last year, I'm riding his warehouse with Chad and Sheckler's petting my dog. He's the <laughs> dude ever. Like, yeah. like, dude, you're actually a cool person. It's just, you were a little kid going through a whole lot of shit in well, a the... TV setting, so you appeared corny. Right. Like, you're still a good human being. Like. You're allowed to be a little bit corny and not be a bad person or, you know. Yeah, I think that was probably more of the people running the TV shows than well, any. Because yeah. they're like, we need to make a TV show, so you have to do this. Like, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I get it fully. Those people or like, you know. Adam LZ is the perfect that's example. What I was about to say. Not to say that I was a huge fan. I definitely think it was kind of a weird situation. It was a little early for its time. But look at it. Was the kid a little corny? Yeah, but did he bring eyes to BMX? Yes. Yeah. Did he do anything negative BMX? I would argue the whole getting a paycheck as a pro rider thing, but that's also a brand responsibility thing. That's saying I'm not paying to be a brand rider. I'm paying him because I think he's a nice kid that's showing a lot of the, the world BMX. That's the only reason I'm paying him. Yeah. It's not because he does tricks. Or right. Anything, you know, so it's a. I think it's a balancing act at BMX. I think BMX is learning, you know. As oh, yeah. A, as a photographer that's been on some higher paid, you know, jobs, I've been on those with riders that if they were asked to answer the questions or do what they were doing, the interview they were doing 10 years ago, they probably would not have even answered the email. Yeah. And now they're like, yeah, you know what? Okay, that does make sense. Yeah, and uh, when you bring up the whole Adam LZ and the YouTube conversation and just how BMX reacted to him, yes, there were definitely like things that happened that BMX reacted yeah. to, but I think at the same time, they reacted to the YouTube part of it in the worst way that they possibly could because oh, yeah. as we said before I started this, like people, and what I love to talk about is I think that people missed a boat in the YouTube thing that if instead of ostracizing YouTube just because Adam LZ was the guy who was doing it and if they would have adopted it and we realized real quick that like that team trip video that Haro did to Columbia or whatever like that team trip video could have like a props vibe to it use music yeah use a music from a a site that you pay to get royalty free music from have the guys talking some and that could make you your paycheck from google like that is that could be amazing and you know it's funny too because like i said we've all been victim of it right or not victim we've all we've all thought it was corny or a lot of us have you know myself Mm -hmm. included like colin beardrick i've been friends with colin freaking year since he was 16 a little crazy kid riding Garrett's ramps in New Jersey and when he started doing YouTube videos at first I'm like dude get out of here like I don't want to be involved in that get out of here what are you doing yeah picking you up to go ride a schoolyard why is your GoPro filming you get in this van what is wrong you know but then like 
at the same time, I always, not that I supported him because I didn't love being involved in him when I, every once in a while when I was in the background, but you know, I look back at now, I'm like, maybe I should have gave him more motivation and more like, dude, okay, not my style doing it, but it's your perspective, you're showing people your world. And you know, the thing that has to become for respect, the one thing I do respect, and I don't know Adam LZ, so maybe it's not true, I think he really was himself yeah. in those videos. And I respect that. It's like I always joke with Chad. You know, Chad's got the new YouTube channel called Chad's Channel. Yeah. I was telling him the other day, I was like, you already did, nobody's probably seen this and you're not going to find it online so I can talk about it. But Chad did a vlog like five years ago that was him at a rock star party with a GoPro just having a fucking night. That's awesome. To this day, I always told Chad, I'm like, you already did the best vlog. Yeah. Like, what are you even gonna, you know, but I think it is cool and kids need to see that, you know, they want to see what you're into and mm -hmm. what you're doing. And that's why I say, even as companies, like, I think we need to hide less, you know, like what Moeller does with the factory Friday shit is awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. If I had a welder out there, I'd be doing the same thing. Yeah. You know? I think it's cool that he shows a little piece of it in this and that, you know, it, it's definitely, yep. it offers a unique perspective of it and gives kids a view. It, it, it adds value to his brand, you know, people are seeing there's humans in there working. It's yep. always the shit, people are working. Yep, and in regards to the Chad YouTube thing, it's when you look at the alternative for something a kid's gonna watch like yeah. there's only so many bmx videos that a kid's gonna watch riding wise because that's what mostly has been out there in the past few years it's yeah. it's changed in the past couple years and there's a lot of other stuff too from pros that people can watch but like before that it was like all you could really see was like people riding and then what do you think they're gonna do when they're done watching the edits they're gonna turn on the the twitch gaming person who's gaming and if if you've ever went on twitch and watched any of these gamer people dude they are the biggest pieces of shit oh, they I are heard. constantly just oh, I, i've heard oh it's so bad just talking trash to the like to the people that can't even hear them that they're playing against and then i have friends who have kids now and like you hear the kids saying some of the same stuff they're saying i'm like dude this kid could be watching someone like Chad Curley playing Dennis Anderson in a game of add-on on his ramp. And that like... Is that worth an hour of my time? I didn't actually watch it yet. Yeah, they're two, of my, <laughs> they're two of my closest friends, but I haven't had... I'm like, when do I have an hour to watch it? Well, I saw it was 43 minutes and I was yeah, like, damn, kept, that's a long game. <laughs> I Andrew who did the video and he was like, you know, blah, 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 can, you know, take a look at it. Like, you know, I was like, I don't think I have 45 minutes. Like, yeah, you know, I, will, I will watch it when I have the time. But. but there's so many other people, even adults, like people who oh, I yeah. found like through what I do that there's the majority of the people who are leaving comments are people who are from the age 25 to like 50 or That's more crazy. than 50. It's crazy. Like me and my wife will sit here at night relax and drinking a drink on the couch and we'll watch stupid youtube videos about camping or like yeah. she likes to go mountain biking so we'll look up different there's guys out in san diego that do mountain bike trail reviews so we'll look at different trails that she might want to ride or you know different places where i want to go and i'm like man this is the same crap that i gave colin for i mm. won't apologize for it but it's <laughs> crap i gave him you know it's it's i'm giving you know i'm watching what i gave somebody else crap for and you know i think we all just need to be open to that you know and as yep. a rider i'll tell you it's a good thing like for somebody that works at a company i'm stoked that chad does that like yeah. he did one other day where he showed up to haro 
That's you know, awesome. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. It's like, what can I show? I'm like, this one bike. This, that's the only thing you can't show is this one bike. Do whatever you want. You yeah. Know? I think that that's awesome, and that's the way it should be. And it, stuff like that adds value. Like, there's certain riders out there. Um, Dakota does a really, really good job at his Instagram story, and like, you notice that. Yeah. You know, where it's like kind of a recap of the day. Matthias is the one where it's like, how do you even have time to tell us about your whole life like that? But. You know, it's like it's the same sort of thing. It's, it's it's important for us to add human feeling and bring people in. That is exactly it. And I think that as long as people are being themselves, uh, like, I'll be honest, when I started making YouTube videos, I didn't yeah. want to talk to the camera. I'm like, uh, I, yeah. I just, I didn't. I literally tried to, like, vlog without talking to my camera it basically ended yeah. up just looking like a snapchat story yeah. as a, or an instagram story as like a long video but <clears throat> you realize through doing this stuff that like people have a personal connection to the yeah. person who they're watching and and if you're just being yourself like i think that's the most important part of seeing chad exactly that's the thing like i think as humans we're all drawn towards the people that are the rawest in the fact, fact that they're who they really are. Yep. You know, no matter what scenario they are in, they're going to show you who they really are. They're not going to hide it, you know, and that's, I, you know, BMX should hide less and, and show more and try to bring, you know, their side and the human side into it more. Look at Patagonia. Have you ever seen a Patagonia video? That's about uh -uh. a jacket. It's never about a jacket. Oh, it's yeah. About somebody that wears that jacket that goes yeah. to 50 years. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we got to realize these other things. We've got a lot to learn from other places. <laughs> but what I will say, too, because I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are like, I'm cool fuck. And what I'll say is, yeah, you should be yourself, too, because there's a place for that. And, and don't be ashamed of sh putting that out there. And, yeah. no, and no one should be ashamed or talk down on somebody. Like, unless, unless you're being a dick and you're like, talking down on other people and actively just being yeah. like that then okay yeah maybe we should like shame that but like there's there's plenty of room for the core side of things that way, man because if you know we need that still because if there's not like if there's not those people out there that are like hey man don't film at this spot like do not share this spot that spot won't be there in a month yeah if there's people out there that don't sit to the kid next to the skate park on the copia and be like hey man you saw that he went, they went, then you went, so you wait two more times till you drop in on that mini, that kid's never gonna learn ethics. You yep. know, like I learned a lot from riding a mini ramp at a skate park in Vegas because it was like, no, there's a pecking order. Yeah. And you don't dare snake somebody older than you ever. Yeah. And and I think I mean, just along those lines, one thing that uh, I very much so learned to pay attention to is that people don't know something until they learn it they don't just randomly yeah. just know these things unless you're a fool like you're an adult and you come into a situation very observant and you're like but even then you're learning it so like the kid at the skate park you're talking about like who that should people should be telling like hey wait two more people wait till they both go then you can go again like they don't know that until somebody tells them and we should never assume anyone yeah. knows anything so like exactly what you're saying it's important that you know and you got to like you said you got to not be a dick but still have your core values out there mm -hmm. you know i mean there's things where i'm like i'll put my foot down at work where i'm like what 
what did you just say? Like, no, 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 no. There's no, yeah. no, no, go back over there. This is the way this is done, <laughs> you know? And, and I mean, you got to have those, you know, or else there's no structure, but you're right. It's, it's showing it and doing it in the right way. Yep. And, and there's, people should be able that's why bmx is so sick right now is that people are able to just like look at it as a spectrum and then be like i like this like that's the thing bmx really is sick right now like there's so many different riding types you know like look at that video albert just put out like did he ride so much different than other people or you do a lot of different tricks like there's so many different people doing different stuff and there's so many people doing new tricks and inventing new tricks and pushing stuff to limits that are insane like the, some of the photos i've shot like you know i don't shoot five days a week like i used to anymore but mm-hmm. some of them i'll look at them and just laugh i'm like that has not came out yet and that trick's never been done still, <laughs> by that you know but it's like i'll laugh about it. i can't even witness i got to, i got to see that yeah know? yeah it's and crazy like those things it's like man it's you know it's it's awesome right now and the level that things are progressing are just it's every day it's something new it's insanity yeah and no matter what you're into if you're into street riding different even different types of street riding you can focus in on these specific riders and i think that the more that we go on the more that like everyone's gonna get the same like light in bmx i would say there's definitely a heavy focus on certain aspects of BMX within like the industry and what people see media wise. But the more we go, the more it's just going to keep going so that everyone has everything they get to watch. And I think that, you know, I think that's a good thing. And that's, that's something that kids need to understand too. It's like, you don't need, you know, a ramp necessarily to go ride, you mm-hmm. know, like I just did a shop stop, uh, shop visit with one of Haro's biggest accounts, which arguably is not, it's a mo- huge mom and pop chain bike shop. Yeah. And someone asked, well, I can't sell BMX that much because I don't have a skate park nearby. And I'm just like, I know this is in Fargo, you know, and it's cold winters, but uh, I was just riding the curb outside for an hour and had a shitload of fun. Yeah. And like I told him, I was like, you should check out these accounts. You should check out this person. Like, You'd be surprised, like, you know, let kids know you can do this. Like, oh, that is true, you know? And it's like, yep. you, gotta, you gotta explain that to people. Like, that's the sickest thing about BMX. Like, I can leave my house right now, and there's not shit to ride here for maybe two miles, but I can ride a lot of curbs. And, yep. and I can ride a lot of stuff for fun in those two miles. But there's no actual things to ride for a couple miles, you know? Yep, my buddy Sponge, he just moved out to Montana for work for a year and he sent me a picture yesterday of like a it was like a small six stair with like this the bottom stair was one of those bump jumpable ones and he's like foofanooing the top stair and his caption was cut bank quarter pipe because he's in cut bank Montana and like he's literally riding stairs like it's a quarter pipe that reminds me of like Juan Tran how he used to just haul ass up like a 10 stair and do a turn down out of like doesn't look fun on a bmx bike but it does look good <laughs> yeah that makes no sense oh man is there anything else we should talk about oh uh on the subject of prices going down i remember i did have a conversation with someone about this uh what they said is that thing it may take things getting so crazy like material shipping costs and all of this stuff for industries as a whole 
to just like ha- start having people obviously you're gonna have the people who are like well we can't afford that so we like we have to back off but then there's gonna be the people who are like we're not paying that and so there will become a time where the supply goes down or the demand goes down as the supply is low if demand goes down supply is gonna start going up and then price in turn because of economics will fall yeah and that i mean you know that's the i wouldn't say that's one of the last scenarios you want to see because that's showing that people are potentially leaving dmx yeah the the cost of things and that's always the trick that we play and play in the realm of the extreme sports where one of the most expensive ones to really be involved in yeah no i totally agree with that you know as the cost rises you know they're they'll reach a point where a frame I mean, it's going to reach a point where it's not obtainable. But then again, you're buying a frame that lasts you over a year. Yep. You're paying. How can somebody argue that a $400 plus, $450 plus frame, $550 frame is a ripoff when it lasts you more than a year? There's no way to quantify it currently without thinking very hard about it. You know, and another another one, too, you know, BMX gets stuck on and uh I think it's awesome that BMX does it because I do believe in a high level of customer service. But the idea of a lifetime warranty mm-hmm. is insane. In a bit, it, it, it's great. It's great to stand behind your products at that amount of level. But to, for me to think that someone's going to bring a pair a frame back five years later and want it warranted, and I've seen it happen where I'm like, well, shit. All right, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you know, the chainstay might be grinded through, but he did crack the head tube a little bit, so whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, this is silly. You know, at some point, you know, you got to realize that costs companies a lot of money. Yeah. That To stamp that on their products and give that back, you know. So I think, you know, kids need to realize, all of us in general need to realize how high quality some goods are. Yeah, and just... So, go ahead. I, I've seen some of the best street riders in the world because arguably you know that's the realm i was i'm still in a lot and that's the realm most of my friends are in mm-hmm. and i shot more photos in i've seen riders there ride frames for and the forks for well over a year oh yeah i would never tell i would never ever tell a rider to ride a fork over a year i tell dennis to ride it less like four months <laughs> well, same d- thing, just because yeah I, I can give them forks. They have an endless supply of forks. Right. I don't ever want a phone call about a fork or a handlebar or any issues, even though I believe in the product. But what I'm saying is I've seen riders ride things far past the level I think it's safe, and they're fine. Yep. They're totally fine. Yep. You know, so it, it, these, these things do hold up, you know, and then they give their frames, friends their frame to person X, and then 10 years later, I just saw a kid the other day that was on a sample frame and I know what it it was a sample frame I designed seven years ago at the skate park riding and I'm like I thought it was Jeez. sick but at the same time I'm like that's dangerous if they knew what that frame really did you know and I'm like sitting there next to him just looking at him like it still looks like it's in good shape I'm, you know <laughs> but it says something about the quality that's in BMX it's almost too good a quality you know you buy a, your $60 skateboard you fucking try a trick for two hours then you you know focus the board in half it's like you're not you go buy a new board you don't complain about by the end of the year you pay more than 550 dollars a deck yeah i think uh if you break it down all you gotta do is just count up how many times you think you've ridden in a in the time that you've had your frame divide that by the cost of it 
that's how much you paid per session for that thing and i'm sure for most of us it's like an understandable amount yeah and at the end of the day how big was your smile when you did it or how much how good did it feel when you did yeah trick it's like well shit that's you know that's worth the money yep i just don't think bmx has shifted its mindset that way yet no and i think it slowly will as you know some of it too i think bmxers in general we're seeing some of them open up to other areas of the industry Mm -hmm. and i think that has a trickle down effect where it will bring some technology into bmx that can be good and it'll help open riders eyes to we we don't need to bitch about the size we are now we need to work together and wonder why we're not that size yeah that's because they all work together and build trails together so maybe we all need to work together and save our spots you know work together to preserve spots work together to build skate parks stuff like that rather than just assume the county should give us millions of dollars of concrete you know yep and that you know you gotta you gotta nourish the scene and grow the local scene that's something i always tell you know it's a similar thing when you go to a bmx shop a bike shop and they're singing the woes like oh we can't even have that one stem in you because it just it'll sit for six months and it's like what'd you do for bmx yeah like what did you do for bmx today you didn't do anything okay well then you don't deserve the ten dollars twenty five dollars you're gonna make off that stem because you didn't do anything for bmx oh you gave a kid a tube that let him go ride more you can afford it that stem will sell for you it's karma in bmx a bit of it too you know we got to remember to nourish it grow it absolutely on that note for sure i agree uh fully i had something i was gonna say and i lost it damn it uh the technology note is interesting because we're starting to see carbon rims and and it's just going to be interesting to see what comes in and carbon rims are probably cost prohibitive not probably they are cost prohibitive right now because they're like 300 bucks a rim yeah i don't think you know hey i i applaud eclop for doing it and somebody needed to do it it's done in bmx race um even in bmx race at least at the grand scheme of where haro's at i would love to do one but yeah one where i open up my own bowl to do it haro's way like you said it's 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 not worth it yeah it's not worth it you know it really isn't you know um you know, it's it's amazing that they did it and pulled it off, and I think there is some benefit. There definitely is some benefits to it. There's there's a bike behind me that's got carbon rims, and it's not a BMX bike, and I see some benefits where it would help BMX. Yeah. But at the expense of it, you're right. There's no way, and especially at street or park riding, like imagine Dennis boosting a fucking nine foot quarter and hanging up on a carbon rim. Yeah, I don't know, man. I've heard that like uh felix rode one for a lot of that crazy video that came out and he's been riding like the same rims for a long and time and that's one that like that one's real impressive to me just because i see what they do on that one i see how long they last there maybe the e one's designed that much better and it, it really could be because dave over there is it's dave patterson over there is extremely smart so it really could be at that level yeah but like i said i mean i just see there's carbon wise there's still some areas to go you know you scratch carbon it's an issue yeah street riders rims there's gouges in the sidewalls yep you know that that scares me a little but and like ratty maddie who did the test for rbmx i know him and i bullshitted with him about it and 
he loves him for the way he rides that's a rim he should have yeah yeah it's it's crazy too because uh alienation actually has made carbon they made them before eclat even did yeah and i haven't ridden them but through talking to people and like seeing that matt copeland's been riding carbon rims for like before bmx freestyle even had them and it's like fine with it seeing the other people who are riding them like man maybe i should try this i would say i mean if they can help you out so you don't have no bank account then i would say try it <laughs> yeah well that's it's worth trying it you know i mean it definitely is it's the same thing like i think the tubeless tire the, the tubeless tire can is something that could possibly happen too you know as that technology gets better you know? yeah they've had Especially, that forever yeah you know i could see that really working in street riding you know um, there is some downfalls on it, but you know, you in street riding with us ru- running 30 PS, some people are riding 30 PSI right now, you yep. know, so I would say 30 to 40 is pretty standard for lots of street riding. And I've seen people get pinch flats left and right. That saves pinch flats. I mean, you don't, you don't pinch on that. You rip your tire before you pinch. Yeah. So I, I could see a place for that. I don't think it's going to be in the neck, you know, maybe. I think that's one alienation played around with as well. They still, I, I mean, all of their rims are tubeless rims. Yeah, you don't have to do a lot. Like if you look up tubeless, if you YouTube tubeless conversion, it's pretty damn, there's so many different ways of doing it to make it work with some Gorilla glue tape. It's pretty amazing. But, yeah. You know, and I mean, I don't blame them. I think that's a smart road for people to start testing product and stuff like that. And it's something that, you know, I'm looking at and I'm going to look at more. Not saying I'm going to do it, but... I'm going to at least try a, try a set try yeah. and see, you know, we have to, I always commend companies like EFA, Odyssey, you know, who year after year, they're pushing the standards, mm-hmm. you know, like the elementary step design wise from a design standpoint, that's a very good thought out design Yeah. from a look standpoint. It's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen personally. But, <laughs> I had one. Yeah, that's see, it's a personal. I, I never had one, but I knew tons of people that did. You know, it was and, a pain uh, in the ass to put it on, but I I loved that thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, it just was. It was a pain because it was hard to do everything at once. At yeah. I remember like I was riding with Casey Badgers once when he had it and his shit slipped, and he's like, ah, oh. this thing never slips, but once it does, it's just a pain. And I'm like, oh, really? You know? Yep. But yeah, no, but I think it's important for companies to push those boundaries. And that's why, you know, I'll always try to do it as much as I can. Yeah. So I, I had a maybe a good ending question. How how many things don't make the cut? How many ideas do you draw up or, you know, that just never see the light of day? If we were in my office, I would go like this through my notepad. Oh. I've got... There's three fiend frames up there that never that never got made um i have a lot of versions of stuff oh like yeah bikes back there that never got made my dennis frame is a little different than other people's frames it's more so my geometry so it's going to be an alternative extra long size mm. but it's like i mean i don't not that many people ride 21 and a quarter you know, right and a long rear end you know not many people want to vote um but I would say for every 10 products, there's at least one, you know, but it, it depends on at what level, if you're talking at a sketch level, man, it's, uh, I would say one out of every three sketch at a sketch or the start 
of something, one out of every three doesn't get made. That seems like a high percentage of things that do, though. Yeah, it's fairly high. I mean, you start getting to the point, you know, like, I have a really long, like, <laughs> so not BMX, but I have a very long spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And on there is probably 100 items. 50 of them marked in red. Those 50 are not priorities and probably will never get made. Oh, yeah. But they're little thought bubbles that will lead to something else. The other 50 are priorities in, yeah. in order of how they should go. So, you know, I always have to, you know, at any company, you're always running it. How much profit can I get out so I can have more budget next year, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to go talk to the owner and be like, oh, shit. My riders aren't getting an extra trip next year. I can't make an extra pair of grips because I overspent or I didn't deliver. So for me, it's very important. That's why it is such a high level of only one out of every three am I kind of burning. Yeah. Because I want to make sure at the end of the day that the riders that I'm friends with and the riders that I choose to be involved with, they get the best out of me and the best out of the company that they're with. And lots of times that does it's not just the owner's job. Lots of times it, it relies on the team manager, the product guy, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's times where Joey Cobb's our team manager, you know, he yelled at me a year ago about race shit. Like, dude, shit's getting old, dude. You said you're going to redo it. Like, I think it's time, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> and this motherfucker, like, I'm really trying to do this right now. Or like, but I'm, then I'm saying, I'm like, he's right. Screw yeah. Shut the office door. I'm done for two weeks. I'm doing race stuff heavy for two, you know? Yeah. So it, it does, you know, you just have to focus it. And in that list, you know, riders help you whittle it down a lot too. Like, you know, um, one thing I do a lot of times, like uh, Paris, for instance, now that she's on Haro, she'll get um, the, she'll have a full custom frame uh, talking about different tires with her, grips, you know. She's awesome. kind of an open book, so I would, uh, to whatever she wants, really. And uh, so with her, same with lots of riders, there's constantly like five projects going on. Yeah. Know? So it's like I always have some going on that will see the light of the tunnel, but some of her, some of her or other people's ideas might not. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a there's a pair of forks in my office that are I did them when I first started for premium, and I'm not making them. Yeah, I'm gonna make them, but it's gonna be a lightweight race fork with <laughs> this technology in it rather than a street fork. Nice. So you know, it's I burn the idea, but the idea is still a small piece that idea will live on so yeah I'd, I'd say one out of every three that's that's cool insight that's really cool insight i'm sure you've gotten like selective with what ideas you even take past the just oh that's an idea in my head stage oh yeah like that well the other idea i wanted to make a seat with a whoopee cushion in it i, <laughs> I text brian and told him i need to make a new quest seat with a whoopee cushion in it and his his response back was, okay, now I know you're too far out there, you know, and just started laughing. So it's like, you you know, but hey, at the end of the day, if I found a way to make that in my office for him, it'd be entertaining. So, yeah. But, you know, yeah, you do have those ideas. Like I've had, you know, I, I not to say his name and repeat, but I've had Colin Berniak tell me some ideas before where I'm like, you're fucking right, but you're so far off that it, you're not right. You know, where I'm like, mm-hmm. that is, you're right. It could go that route, but that route wouldn't work. Yeah, you know, which is which is why you need riders like that. Like, you know, I remember. Want to say, it was when had to have been, it had to have been about ten years ago. 
Colin asked me to make him 155 cranks. And this was when 170 was like the length. Yeah. Don't make shorter. And I'm just like, you're crazy. You're absolutely nuts. Yeah. And he stood there in my, at the time I was working out in my bedroom and he's like, put your feet far apart, jump. Now put them close together and jump. Which one felt more natural and did you jump higher? And I'm like, this motherfucker, okay, I gotta pay to get this crank made in 155 just for him to see if this works. So you do need those, you need those harebrained ideas and you need those riders that are gonna push you to the point you're annoyed. Yep, and I'll tell you right now, you saying that is gonna have people commenting saying, where can I get 155 cranks? Well, <laughs> I don't know, that's a tough one. I'm not making 155, but 160 I think is kind of the street riding that I feel not for me, but from what I've seen with the riders I'm involved with, 160, 165 is really kind of where you're at. That's so funny because I just, with my most recent bike that I built last year, went to 170 from 175. And I only did that because of a miscommunication and me ending up with 170s. So it's like. No, because remember, we don't pedal BMX bikes. Or, well, we do if it's a race bike, but we're not doing gate starts. Yeah, well, I ride trails, so. Well, there you go. There's a little, like a little bit, but I think the 28.9 part of it, like, makes a five millimeter difference negligible. That's probably very true. But there's a, yeah, if you read up other areas of the industry, the short crank things, like, I think everyone's going shorter. But yeah, I don't know if we'll ever see 155 in the grand production of things. I want to say if if you want 155 cranks, I was, Colin rides for Fiend. Those were Fiend cranks. I, if they don't make 155s, they definitely make 160s. Yeah. I think I, a lot of people make 160s now. I, I know premium hasn't come in in a month, and a lot of people do, but for 155s, I would say try Fiend because that was them, so they might even have it. I, yeah, I just had somebody commenting the other day about how they ride 145s, and that's all they want to ride. And they're riding, and maybe it, it might not be 145, but whatever the cult kids' cranks are, they ride those on their adult. 145, right? Yeah, 135 to 145 makes sense. Those like I remember, I used to uh, Sean McCanny when he was little shitty Sean. Yeah. I used to drill out power bike cranks and recap them for him, like Thu uh, at Epic used to do for Max. Like I'd make him 135 cranks all the time. Yeah, it's crazy. It's somebody, somebody was commenting saying that those are the only cranks that they won't ride anymore. I'm like, right? Okay. It's, nuts to me to think when I was 13 my first pair of three-piece cranks were redline three-piece cranks they were 185s racing racing on a 40 on a 46 16 it's pretty nuts yeah I I started on 175s I started riding in 2006 rode them until 2021 I mean I'm like you I still I still ride 170s and I also have a really I also have almost a 13 almost a 14 inch rear end Okay. So that was like I'm six three though, and I like riding skate parks, you know, so and bowls, so it makes more sense. That is something though that I will say is lacking in BMX. There is a very a hole in the market between thirteen five and fourteen rear end length, where there's yeah, not that, very many that's, options. That's what I was thinking with the frame that I said I have that will not make me because I was like, oh, maybe like. You know, Dennis rides parks. Maybe we'll do an extra long option or something. But now I'm thinking I'm going to save it for something that's not rider specific because mm-hmm. I've always, I've always really believed, and it's something that other people that work with other pros and other uh, 
bosses have distilled in me is that if it's got a rider's signature on it, that rider better fucking love that product. They it, better they, not even question it when they put it on their bike. They better not ever look at it and get tired of it. You know, so that was another reason why I didn't want to make a, a, a length of a dentist frame that he didn't ride. Because I'm like, that's not true to nature. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I don't like that at all. I don't like the, the, when you see a part where it's like, the rider was handed that part and told that that was their like yep. signature thing. It's like that's not the way it should yeah. be. It I should be theirs. Artwork wise, it's like put the artist, put the artist through patience. Yeah, it's that artist to do the work. It's your, it's your product. You know, if you don't yep. like it. It's not right. I wholeheartedly agree with that and i'm psyched to hear that and honestly this has been a really good chat just hearing yeah, about haro in general too because i think haro is one of those brands like you said your paycheck comes from kids aluminum bikes or whatever like i think people don't know the extent of this stuff when haro comes up yeah you know it, it's it's a weird one because i always say like you know, if you look at it as a from a retrospective thing or like a branding mindset, you're like, well, what what is it? You know, and it's like, I look at Haro, it's, it's kind of the balancing point, right? Between the mass market and core. Mm -hmm. I sell stuff to the mass market, but I sell stuff to the core at the same time. And it's, dude, that's always the biggest struggle at a company that size is, you know, how do I make sure I do good diligence for BMX. I always respect BMX while still being able to make sure little Johnny can grow, buy a Haro when he's five years old, and when he's 45 years old, he can go buy one of the lineage Haros that John Bolton's built because that was the bike he couldn't afford when he was 11. Yep. You know, and it, it, it's really a full cycle, so it's kind of cool to see, you know? It's, it's different than other just super core brands for sure, but it does definitely have its core aspects. I mean, there's, two grind benches there's the premium the premium benches outside and some other stuff's outside and it's like you know people there do ride you know it is it is a bunch of bike riders you know if you go to our our r&d build area there's not a minute somebody isn't that should be at their desk isn't down there working on their bike you know yeah so that's awesome great california or i tell anybody you know we have a company store now so i tell anybody just come by you know, oh, that's sick. Tell me no chat or something, they'll give you a discount. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if you're ever out in San Diego and you want to come by, come by, you know. Yeah. I would. We'll go to the brewery and have lunch afterwards. Yeah, um, I'd love to yeah, do that. You know, so I tell anybody, stop by. It's it's pretty much an open door, you know. Our store's right there and the warehouse is right there. You that's, the store and you see the bike. That's super sick. I don't know when I'll make it back to California in it with its current state of things in California. <laughs> But I'm sure I'll be back there at some point. Come visit. I'll probably be out that way eventually before too long anyway. If you come to raise, hit me up. I need to come to raise. It's been a while. Get, it's, been a, it's probably been, it's been since I've been back in California. It's been 10 years. Dude, get Chad and Dennis at raise and make a video of raise with those two. Oh my Chad God. That would be hilarious at raise because he wouldn't, he would know what to do, but wouldn't know what to do. Cause and, he can ride those, he can ride all those jump lines, but Dennis would destroy the place. Well, then there's the, the bowl or the, that's the, true. That exists too. The grind room is, yep. it's, it's the grind room, but then yeah. there's the, the Paul's boutique room, which is super tight. And like Dennis would go crazy in there. And then Haro makes mountain bikes. So yep. boom, throw them on a mountain bike, send them on the cross country trail. If you, 
I don't know if you saw the Instagram post that they took uh, Christian Regal took Chad and Dennis mountain bike. Dennis oh has a hard mountain bike. I think Chad might have one now too. But Dennis, I, Dennis doesn't go all the time. But if Chad posted on his Instagram, I was fucking dying because he hits this forty footer and it's just, woo, yeah, boy. It's like it just like reminded me of being a little kid again. I'm like, dude, he's so just stoked just to jump a big long double again. You That's know? BMX. Yeah, that is like is. the heart of BMX. He might be on a mountain bike, but he's jumping a BMX bike. Yeah, it's at its BMX. So. It's too bad he didn't start his YouTube channel before that. Right. Well, there's an idea too. Yeah, maybe I yeah, I should send him because he. I don't know if you watch any of his, but he uses uh, that dude Andrew Knight Elevated Perspectives. Oh, okay. He uses his, him to help film all of this, so it's kind of cool because Chad's not. You know, he knows he's not a filmer. So right. Andrew's just the homie that follows him around and. You know, I wouldn't say follows him around, but he's the homie hanging out with him all the time, so he films it and puts it together. So they're kind of entertaining in that sense. They're a little different. Yeah, that's really rad. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to give them like two absurd mountain bikes to go ride one day. Two e mountain bikes or something <laughs> that they don't even know what they are. <laughs> oh my god! Don't even like make it a surprise. <laughs> yeah, I should give it. have them show up to Haro one day. We got something for you. I do that all the time. Come up for lunch. You know, I should do that one day. Oh gosh, I would love to see that. Whew. That being said, man, we did two hours. Yep, I can talk. I told you that. I I love it though. I mean, my wife's been in, my wife's been home for about an hour, so that means I might have I didn't miss dinner because she's a sweetheart, so she would have waited for me. But I should probably go have a beer and, and dinner at some point tonight. Yes, we'll let you go be a good but husband. If, uh, if you ever want to do it again, even if it's with other people or whatever, just let me know. Yeah, I'm I'm way down when yep. when the ideas pop up or just to chat about whatever. Like even talking about photography stuff, I've Absolutely. I've done stuff with people with video, but I've never photo stuff. So it could be cool doing that kind done, of thing. Man. We can talk about that too. Hell yes. Well, thank you for the insight. I think that we're gonna teach a lot of people and like help them understand why things are the way they are right now. Well, thanks for doing what you do. It's good to see somebody motivated doing positive stuff in a good light. Hey, I'm doing my best. There you go. That's all we can all do, right? That's right. <laughs> so that being said, where can people find you and examples of what you, you the types of things you work uh, on? I don't know. I'm kind of a, I don't put a lot of my life on social media. Um, but if you go to my Instagram, just at Kevin Connors. Yep. And really anything, you know, um, some of the, Joey shoots photos for Haro as well, so some of their Instagrams, mine and his. Um, but I would say, premium-wise, we're gonna, you know, see tons of new product. All the new Haro products starting to trickle in. So really, anything that Haro or Premium puts out is gonna be my work as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Photo-wise, most of it's gonna be Instagram, Premium, Haro, Cinema, Fiend, you know, all that sort of good stuff. So it'll be all over the place. Hell yeah, and. Uh if i'm lucky i'll be talking about some of it here there you go <laughs> Hopefully so. yeah so that being said thanks to everyone for tuning in and we yeah, will thank see you guys for listening to me ramble for two hours yes we'll see you at 10 a.m eastern tomorrow morning for the news good right, night there you go thank you brand appreciate it boss